Welcome, everybody, to the Tucson Hockey Podcast. This is episode number eight. I'm Ryan DeJoe. I'm the coaching director for the Junior Roadrunners. And joining us today is former U of A head hockey coach. And he currently took a new position a little while ago with College Hockey Incorporated. A lot to talk about today. Also, former coach for the ACHA D1 team at Ohio University. Sean Hogan joins us today. Coach, it's good to talk to you. It's been a while. For sure. I'm excited to be here. I'm always excited to talk uh, about my time in Tucson and talk about the Arizona Wildcats and uh, always talk about hockey. So excited to be here. Yeah. And let's let's jump right into it. Talk about uh, your new role with uh, College Hockey Inc. And, you know, this is geared a lot toward our older players and uh, some of their friends that they play with who are kind of getting up in the ranks. We got a lot of kids playing tier hockey now. So talk about College Hockey Inc. and your role. Yeah. So I'm the director of education uh, with College Hockey Inc. Been here about a year. Uh, it's been a strange year, obviously a strange year for everybody, but just celebrated my year anniversary here at the beginning of October. And we do a variety of things uh, with College Hockey Inc., but there's only three of us, right? There's Mike Snee in Minnesota. He's our executive director, Nate Ewell in Boston, and and I'm in the Detroit area uh, in Michigan, where, where I'm from. So, um, But we do a variety of things. I think you probably see us in the media, you know, partnering with uh, – Division one athletic um, departments trying to provide more Division one hockey opportunities, uh, creating more Division one uh, hockey programs. We do a, a lot of different research as well. You might see us um, on, on Twitter and our social media uh, do a lot of research on player paths and, and how players end up in the NHL, you know, through the college route and, and what the path looks like. But really, uh, in my role and, and really at our core, College Hockey Inc. Is, is an education organization, meaning that we educate players, you know, the elite 14, 15, 16-year-old hockey player on, on the path and how to stay eligible for college hockey because hockey is so much different than, than football and, and baseball and, and basketball where if you want to play, if you're, if you're a good football player and you want to play in the NFL, the, the, the path is pretty simple, right? You play high school football, you play college football, and, and then you have a chance to play in the NFL where, where hockey, there's all these different kind of options. And, there's junior hockey and the average, you know, college hockey freshman is almost 20 years old. So there's, there's those gap years. And, um, and one of the options players have um, in the CHL makes them ineligible for, for college hockey. So we really just try to educate players and their families um, on the benefits of college hockey. So do a variety of things. And, and I love it. It keeps me involved at a, at a high level in the game. And it's been a lot of fun. And I know there's been an influx of a lot of uh, older age Canadian junior players and really other players, even from Europe, that are coming in and playing NCAA hockey. I imagine one of the selling points, or not that they have to be selling points, is when you play college hockey for some of these bigger schools, and especially how popular hockey is at a lot of these Division I NCAA schools, even Division III NCAA schools, is that something you sell as really a unique experience playing hockey that even if you're a professional, you might not play in places that are as intense or might have as fun of an experience as playing at, say, even one of the smaller Minnesota schools or even up and including bigger places like uh, UM, Wisconsin, Notre Dame, places like that? Yeah, I, I, absolutely. I think you, um, you you hit a few points there. I think, um, like you said, college hockey, NCAA Division One college hockey is increasingly been a route proven to get to the NHL. I mean, 33% of the NHL uh, right now is made up of college hockey players. And that's the most ever, right? So you went, if you went back like 10 or 15 years, the number was in 20%. If you went back further than that, there was a, at one time, there was only one NHL player that, that played college hockey. And that was Red Berenson, uh, who played at Michigan and coached Michigan for a long time. But 
Um, you also mentioned the influx of Europeans. <clears throat> right now, it really is becoming the, the place where where the world's elite players are, are coming to play to get ready for the NHL. Uh, we've had the most ever Europeans um, playing NCAA hockey last year, and about 25% um, of the NCAA is made up of Canadian players, so one in four. So it really is a, a variety, or excuse me, a um, you know influx of elite players from around the world are, are play, playing uh, NCAA hockey. Um, as well as, like you said, there's so many different experiences of NCAA hockey, Division One experience, Division Three experience, and ACHA experience. We, we focus mostly on the Division One experience and the variety of schools from, like you said, the, the large Big Ten schools to uh, smaller um, academic-minded schools, and it's uh, really is a unique opportunity for players. Talk a little bit about the influence and what you've seen regarding Arizona state. I know there are neighbors to the North and we're Tucson centric and U of A centric <laughs> and you are too, but you have this giant school in the West starting up the hockey program, having success, making the tournament. What is some of the yep. topics that you've had about telling players, Hey, there's this kind of new game in town in this mm-hmm. entirely new place to play West of the Mississippi. That isn't Denver or Alaska. Yeah. Well, I think, First of all, what they've done at ASU and what Greg has done, Greg Powers, the head coach of Arizona State, has done at ASU is nothing short of uh, incredible. Uh, he's done a great job. He's created a great culture there. He's and he's doing it all without without the facilities right now too. So it, it really is impressive what, uh, what 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 Greg has been able to do. Um, and it is just another sign. I mean, Arizona State was was the most recent Penn State before that, um, and then most recently, I guess, Long Island University. Um, has added, added hockey um, in New York for for this upcoming season. I think we'll have a few more here in the next couple of years. But um, it really is um, amazing to see, especially in, in the times we're in now where you're seeing a lot of sports being cut, that college hockey continues to grow and it continues to thrive. And it continues to thrive in places where you might not think, think that it would, like in, in Tempe, Arizona, and Arizona State. So uh, really, like you said, a unique experience out there, a unique experience on, on the East Coast, and uh, we're really at thriving times. Probably the golden era of college hockey. So it's pretty exciting. No, everything's on the up and up. And I went to Ohio State when they came out as the number one team in the country preseason, and they played Arizona State at Oceanside. So they, it wasn't even Isn't in the river. It's just in Oceanside. It's just in the awesome. barn, in the ring. Yeah, I, I love that. I, I mean, obviously, they're, they're going to get a, a new facility soon, and it's going to be a fantastic facility. But the fact that you know Ohio State, I think Michigan State was there last year. I think Michigan, is, they might have they might have played in Oceanside, but I know Michigan State and Ohio State have for sure. And that's just such a cool thing and the unique thing about college hockey is, is that environment. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, I, I often joke, I, I think Arizona State is going to be a perennial national power when you're talking to recruits. It's like, okay, uh, did you take a walk around Bemidji State? Yeah, when was that? <laughs> November? All right, come to our campus in November. And it's like, oh, okay. Yeah, right. <laughs> this might work. Yeah, for sure. yeah, I might enjoy playing yeah. hockey here. De- definitely some advantages. But you know what? The, the one thing I'll say um, – that that's true. Like you know, there's some unique advantages there. But I remember when Greg first got the job, and um, he had mentioned 
I, we were at a, at a college hockey coaches conference and, and Greg spoke. And one of the things Greg said, he's like, elite players aren't going to come to Arizona state because of palm trees, palm trees and sunshine. We have to have, we have to have a program. We have to have a culture. We have to, we have to do, do things right to, to attract elite players. And, and he's done that. He's, he's, he's done all those things. And, and recently, you know, provided guys or produced guys that are making the NHL and um, he's doing the right thing. So it's exciting to see. And I'm pretty sure he was he was still uh, coaching ASU's team when you were on the other side, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we had minimal success against against the Sun Devils uh, when I was there. So, yeah, Greg did a great job with the ACHA program. They they were at the the height of their uh, um, the, the, when they played in the ACHA. They they're at the, the height that they got to. They won the national championship one year. I believe probably only lost maybe three games one year, but one of those games we did win. Uh, we, we, we beat them um, at my last year there um, at Oceanside. Um, but yeah, they had a great, great program for the three years that I was there and we were in our building stages, um, but he's, he did a good job for sure. But even so, I mean, your, your team got in the top 10. Um, I remember at least one of the years, if not two and made yeah, we some did. trips yeah. back. Yeah. Yeah. So we, you know, credit to our players uh, when I was there, they, um, they bought in, they, they, they wanted to, to have success. Um, and we had some disadvantages, right? As you know, you know, you played the TCC, which is great for game days, but not always great for practice times and we had to practice in Chandler. So there was some disadvantages there, but, but credit to our players and, um, our captain at the time, Brian Sulgaki, um, did a great job of establishing the culture. And, um, you're right. We, we, we got into the top 10, my second or third year there. Um, and we made the national tournament, um, we were right there. We, we were right at the, at the cusp of, uh, um, you know, turning the corner and being a perennial top 10 team. So it was, uh, it, my time in Arizona was memorable and a ton of fun. I really enjoyed those players. I enjoyed working at the university of Arizona and, um, being around the, the youth hockey program and the TCC. It was, it, it was pretty cool, man. And most memorably, you and I were an occasional D pair in the adult league. <laughs> yeah, we were. I mean, you, you know, it's that over. It is. Yeah, that is that is true and honestly i don't think i have played an adult league game since like it's been t- what six years i don't think i've played an adult adult league game since so i, I can't, can't imagine if i had to play an adult league game how rusty i'd be but you had to bail me out on all my my turnovers week in and week <laughs> out in the adult league <laughs> <laughs> you know when when one of our coaches coach rob hears this he's gonna laugh because i am an absolute turnover machine whether it's <laughs> iced or in line i'm not happy until i can make blind backhand passes between yeah i think we only had three d pairings and you and i were in the fifth pair so <laughs> yeah I, I joke i joke with coach berman now i said i might have some eligibility if you need like 11 12 13th defenseman <laughs> There you go. Block some shots and get off the ice. <laughs> yeah, yeah doing, doing the dirty work. I ain't afraid to block shots. No, there you go. <laughs> I, I'm, no I'm glad you mentioned that. I remember uh, I refereed and or linesman some of the games. I remember there was a big Thursday night top 10 matchup once between U of A and uh, another place you coached at, Ohio University. It was a, a great oh, yeah, game. That you guys game. Were victorious. Yeah. yeah, that was yeah. a top 10 matchup. I, I know they yeah, were in the but- top Five, I think you guys were maybe six or seven or eight, but it was a wonderful game, a great atmosphere, and just you know that yeah. I, I mean it was it was a big of non ASU crowd as I remember seeing at the TCC for that kind of game. I remember that game; it was a lot of fun. It was uh, I think David Riss scored a big goal for us um, just over the blue line on the far side from our bench in the third period with, with not a ton of time left. So, um, but I, de- I definitely remember the game, and I remember 
Yeah, you know, getting that win—that was one of the first wins that, that kind of you know marquee wins that we had um, when we were there. So definitely, uh, and then it's strange how life works out, right? Because I remember thinking when I coached Oakland University uh, years ago, we went out to Arizona, and I remember standing on the away bench and thinking to myself, "Man, it'd be pretty cool to you know be the coach of, of the Wildcats." Never thinking like I would, that would ever happen, and there we are, you know, coaching. Uh, I was coaching coaching Arizona, and the same thing we. At Arizona, we went to Ohio. I was like, man, it'd be kind of, you know, it's a pretty cool program out here in the Midwest. Nice rink on campus and big crowds. And there, there I was a few years later as the head coach of that program. So kind of strange how, how life works out that way. Yeah. And I, I remember that OU game specifically. I was lining it and a referee that we had a lot, Tom Bibbs, a good guy. Oh, know yeah, well. yeah. He was, Bibbs, he was a, and I, we, went, we went at each other a few times, I think. <laughs> I, I have too. I still see him in high school games now, even though, you know, we're, we're always cordial. He's, I, I remember he was getting so agitated because the lights were slow and coming back on. He's like, no, I'm calling him over. We're dropping the puck. We're starting. And I'm, 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 I'm like holding him I'm like, Tom, Tom, there's nothing else going on in the building. It's a top 10 game. Just give it a minute. Give it another minute. Give it another minute. You want to play in the dark? That's fine. Let's give him one more minute. Oh, that's right. Give him one more minute. But no, the lights came back on and it was a great game. And uh, I also remember, I remember I was, I was also on the ice line in games when Michigan state came down once. Uh, So you had, you know, another big school uh, come all the way out to Arizona and even talking to my first, my first year there. Yeah. And even talking with uh, Rocky Russo, who's a good friend of mine that we both know the coaches in the North American league. He talked about when he played for Kent state, they came out when the tournament was in Arizona one year and it was something that, he remembered about the crowd and the atmosphere and talking about going from the U of A to Ohio university. So these are two great ACHA atmospheres, uh, probably, you know, in the top, I, I would say probably five. I'm not as experienced with it as you are. You've coached in all these places. There were, I mean, Penn state had a top ACHA program for a long time, Illinois, other places like that. And you got at those two places, especially here and then in Athens at Ohio U. I mean, Ohio U, yeah, they have football. Yeah, it's Ohio. They have D1 basketball. Uh, you know, they have success in those programs in the MAC. But really, to me, in, in, you know, being from that area, knowing a lot of people that go there, even know that a couple people that played there, hockey is the sport there. It is, it is the campus sport <laughs> at OU. And so talk about some of the atmosphere that you've had, not only here, but at OU as well, and compare it even with what you see in some Division One schools now in your current position about that kind of game atmosphere and how they compare. Yeah, absolutely. So the the one thing that at both places, when I was in Arizona and Ohio, when we were you know recruiting players and we were recruiting players mostly that were looking at uh, you know Division Three opportunities and ACHA opportunities, right? So we would sell all the things you said, right? Division One school. You know, we have Division One basketball and football, uh, but look, but look at our hockey atmosphere, right? Look at look at look at our rink on campus at Ohio. Look at look at our rink, the TCC in Arizona, and, and look at our crowds. Look at our look at our fan base. Look at look at the support of the program. So, once you weighed those out, it was you know kids would see that they'd be be really excited about both. But but when, when I was at U of A, um, we, we, it was it was a fantastic atmosphere. I still remember like the smell of the TCC on game day. You could smell the, the you know, the, the, the donuts and the popcorn, and, um, the, the smell of the rink on, on a game day, the TCC will, will always be etched in my memory as, as something special. And, and just the, the, the support of, um, you know, 
the people of Tucson and, and supporters of, of, of the Wildcats in general and how they supported the hockey program was just it's hard to put into words for, for people that, that don't experience or, or haven't been a part of it. And it was similar uh, at Ohio. Like you said, um, it's in Athens, Ohio. So it's kind of a uh, out of the way place, college town. Um, and the support for the hockey program, they've had hockey at, at Ohio since 1959. Right. And at one point it was an NCAA division one uh, varsity sponsored sport until the early seventies. Um, but they've supported and, and filled up bird arena. Uh, essentially every Friday and Saturday night in the winter from, from 1959. So there's, and the people that support the program and volunteer the, for the program, um, Marvin Fletcher, I think has volunteered since the seventies. He's been at pretty much every game uh, since the seventies at Ohio. So it was a, uh, it was a, it was a ton of fun. People cared a lot about the Ohio hockey program um, and, and wanted us to have success. And we were really close. We made the national finals uh, the year I was there and, and we lost a game that we felt we probably should have won, but uh, we, we did have a lot of success at, at both places. Definitely. And and me being from Northeast Ohio, being from Youngstown, Southern Ohio is a very unique place. People not from Ohio think a certain way when you talk about Ohio. Most people consider it as Iowa. Some people know, okay, well, it's got the industrial north and then, but the Southern portion of Ohio are places like Ohio University being the biggest, but there are a lot of smaller colleges in the southern part of the state, and it's oh, more like yeah, yeah. I and I, say, I, South, Southeast Ohio is is a unique place in itself, and and Ohio is a huge. Well, we don't think the ge- geography of it, but it's a huge state. You have so many big cities. You have Cincinnati, Columbus, Cleveland, Dayton, Toledo. I mean, there's there's Youngstown. There's big cities all over the state, and then tucked in the corner of Southeast Ohio. Um, is it, it, Appalachia, right? Uh, tiny, you know, little dots all over the map, very, ti- very tiny towns. And one of those is Athens, Ohio, home of Ohio university. And, uh, it's a beautiful place to live. Um, unique place to live and, uh, home to a, to a tiny hockey team and in a tiny community. So it was a lot of fun. And you get to take credit for Joe Burrow now. Athens, Ohio gets to take yes. credit for Joe Burrow. <laughs> yeah. So. Joe Burrow was uh, my first year at Ohio. He was a senior. Uh, at Athens High School, so I saw him win the state championship, and he was unbelievable uh, as a high school player. And everybody had their fingers crossed that he'd end up at Ohio University because his dad was the, the defensive coordinator at Ohio University. Uh, but he went to Ohio State, and then, as everybody knows, didn't play it down, and then he goes to LSU, and look what he's doing now. So pretty amazing stuff. Oh, I I remember him. He he got some mop up time, and I'm a big Ohio State fan, and I have good friends that are Ohio State fans, and I remember he got. Some time and you, I remember he ran in mop up oh, time. He, got a, I didn't he know got, that. He did get me. Yeah, he got a little bit of mop up time, and I remember it's like, man, I texted my buddy. I was like, boy, this kid. I mean, like this kid can throw. I mean, this kid's got yeah. it. And then they had what he. Well, as a quick aside, and since it's a podcast, we have time to talk a little bit. And we got some Ohio kids, and we have some Michigan kids who are gonna, you know, turn at this story that are UM fans. But it was he was in the in the running with Dwayne Haskins for the backup job to JT Barrett. He had. Joe Burrow, he actually hurts his hand. He breaks his hand and Haskins takes the number two job and actually fills in and does well filling in for JT Barrett during the Michigan game. So the following year, it was kind of, they knew it was kind of going to be Haskins and that's when Burrow transfers. I mean, Haskins is a Heisman finalist as well. Burrow goes to (laughs) LSU and yeah, so you had, you had JT Barrett, you had even Braxton Miller when he was a senior and was a wide receiver, Mm -hmm. you had Dwayne Haskins. 
and you had Joe Burrow all on the same football roster at the same time. And for anyone who's a college football fan, what an embarrassment of riches that is. But yeah, absolutely. That's what I, re- I recall it being like, man, can you imagine how good of a, of a team you have to be to have Joe Burrow on your depth chart and not, not be the number one guy. <laughs> Pretty amazing. Yeah. And, you know, as, as we've alluded to here, especially when I was talking with Rocky, because we're both from Youngstown, I mean, Ohio is football country, but they, they're also sports fans and they, mm-hmm. and plus, you know, we're biased. I know, but I still say hockey is the best sport live to go see by far. And the atmospheres in the buildings um, are, are really unique and even a college hockey, but let's, let's back up a little bit. So, uh, you know, we were talking with a good buddy of both of ours last time, last week in uh, Zach Clark, who's a Detroit area native and you are as well. Talk a little bit about uh, your hockey journey growing up and all the way through playing uh, NCAA hockey at Iona. Yeah, well, I grew up, um, you know, p- playing basically local youth hockey, um, which is a little different then than, than it is now. It seems like players now kind of bounce all over and have to, unfortunately, many players have to make great sacrifices to to follow the game and, and move away from home and do things like that. But I, I, I didn't have to do any of that growing up in the Detroit area. I played locally um, for usually the rink that was closest to my house. My, my dad was in the state police, so he, we moved a few times when he was tra- transferred a couple different times. But I always played at the, 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 the local rink. And um, when I became high school age, realized I was you know pretty decent hockey player. Not great, but um, pretty decent hockey player. And I played Michigan high school hockey. Um for Waterford Our Lady Lakes and um, had two pretty decent years, my junior and senior year, and was uh, noticed by a few junior teams and drafted in. Um, back then, we had junior A and junior B and was drafted by a couple of different teams and then was offered an opportunity to play uh, college hockey as, as a true freshman uh, at Iona College in New York and um, jumped at the opportunity because I was ready to go to college and was able to play NCAA hockey at Iona. Um, but we, you know, we didn't have a great program and uh, evidence of that. They no longer have a varsity uh, college hockey team at Iona. I was on one of the last ones, um, but uh, it was, I had a great experience, right? I was able to, hockey has been really, really good to me. Right. So ho- hockey's provided me, you know, not only an undergrad education, um, it's provided me an opportunity to, to travel the world because I was lucky enough to coach the national university team or um, one year we were in Italy, one year we were in Spain and one year we were in Kazakhstan. Um, provided me an opportunity to get my master's degree at Ohio University uh, because I was a head hockey coach and part of the benefits package was to be able to uh, earn a second degree. So hockey has been really, really good to me. Um, it's provided me, you know, my current role with college hockey Inc. And really everything I have is, is due to the, due to this game. And for a player who really wasn't that good, uh, it's provided me a ton of opportunity. So it's been pretty cool. And talk a little bit about, as you were finishing school, what your thought process was when you decided to make hockey a career? Um, well, g- good question. Right. So I always loved the game, right? Like when I was, when I was done playing in college, so I played two years at, at Iona. I ended up graduating from Michigan State. Played some club hockey at Michigan State. And, uh, when I graduated, um, had an opportunity, had some minor league tryouts. So I was in Macon in, in the ECHL, and uh, then Kalamazoo and, and Knoxville in the UHL. But never made made the teams. Right? It was always just in, in tryout camps. But uh, pretty cool experience to do that. And I wasn't re- quite ready to give up hockey, like and just you know 
I guess, grow up. <laughs> um, so what I did was I, I, you know, I got a regular job. I worked at a Medicaid HMO, but I also coached on the side, right? I coached as volunteer role at Oakland University. Um, so that was my first, uh, you know, experience, you know, trying to, I guess, make hockey a career, but, but staying involved in the game, right? I think that's the most important thing for, for people that love the game and want to want to be in a position where they can make it a career is find ways to stay involved. And that's what I did. I was a volunteer assistant coach um, at Oakland university. Um, and I did that on top of my other job. And I did that for, uh, was part of that program for six years. And over those six years, it was always part-time, right? It was always either paid very little or, or volunteer. Um, but after six years there, um, I started also working at the rink that, that we played out of, did, did all sorts of different things to stay involved in the game because I loved it so much. And then eventually, when I was almost 30, I guess, I was offered my first full-time position uh, coaching uh, the Yellowstone Quake, which is a junior team in Wyoming. And um, that's kind of, I guess, if you really want to want to stay involved and, and make it a career, you got to maybe move to places you might not think that you'd end up living. So went to Cody, Wyoming and coached a junior team for a year. And it was a great experience for me, um, recruiting a team um, to Cody, Wyoming and, and uh, putting a team together and just learning how to run a junior team. And I did that for a year. And then I got a really big break and was able to, Oh, it's a big break in, 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 in one way was I got to work for an NCAA division one staff, right? The head coach was Jeff Blaschel at Western Michigan, who's the current head coach of the Red Wings. Um, but it was, a, it was an unpaid position, right? It was the volunteer assistant coach role, but I knew that it would be a huge opportunity uh, to learn for one of the best in the world. So I jumped at it, went to Western Michigan for a year and worked at uh, <laughs> worked the early morning shift at uh, UPS. <laughs> I worked like 4 a.m. to 8 a.m. Uh, and then I'd work uh, in my volunteer assistant role uh, with Western Michigan during the day. So I had to make some some different sacrifices and, and did that for a year and learned from one of the best coaches in the world and learned. How, the unique part about that program was when Jeff took over, he was only there one year. Um, the team was kind of routinely finishing last in the CCHA. Uh, but in one year, we went from last place to making the NCAA tournament and playing in the CCHA championship game. And be, uh, we beat Michigan along the way, which was, which was, was pretty cool for, for a program like Western Michigan at the time. So, uh, and then I got the opportunity to go to Arizona. Um, that was, I saw, I saw the job posting. I applied, went through the process and was fortunate enough to get the job. So um, you kind of, is it kind of meandering, way to stay in the game and eventually it grows into full-time positions and, and you can make it a career. Um, but it's usually not something that happens right away. Um, for me, it was a winding path and, and having to, to make some sacrifices, but wouldn't change it for the world. And uh, again, the small world that is hockey, just a couple of points that you talked about there. We have one of our high school players who was on our high school team the first year, uh, is playing for the Yellowstone Quake. We had another player who used to play with us who ended up uh, back in Phoenix after a stay in Texas, who's also on the Yellowstone Quake playing in Cody oh, Wyoming. No kidding. So <laughs> it's just a small world we had. It is a small world, yeah. So I coached there, it would have been 2009, 2010. Um, actually, the, the head coach of that program now is, is a good buddy of mine, uh, Phil Oberlin, who was uh, working me at Ohio. Yeah, and um, I, I believe, I, I don't know, I haven't checked in to see how this season's starting, but I wouldn't be surprised if they were on that roster again. I'll have to, I'll have to check into that and check in with my former players to see how they're doing. But also we had uh, one of our coaches 
who ran our 8U program for a couple of years when he and his family were here in Tucson. He's now since uh, moved, but it was a guy named Austin Miller who played defense at Western Michigan in, I think it was late 99, uh, 2000 era. So we had, oh, some no Western, had some Western Michigan ties here in our program. Uh, at the youth ranks, just a, a great, a great hockey guy, a great hockey coach, great family. And, uh, just, uh, and that's what I love about hockey. It's, uh, the small world of it is a unique atmosphere, but before we get into your transition to the place that's near and dear to all of our hearts, Arizona, talk about the day to day that you remember from Jeff Blashill and some of the lessons and some of the things you took from him as you progressed in being a head coach and throughout your head coaching career. Uh, both at uh, Arizona and Ohio. Yeah, yeah uh, Jeff is extremely detailed, and that's one thing I, I noticed immediately, um, and why he's had so much so much success everywhere he's been. Really, um, he's extremely detailed um, in, in the games so in, in terms of just how we're gonna how we're gonna do drills, why we do drills, and, and what a successful rep looks like. Right, so he's very very detailed uh, detail oriented in, in everything that that we do on the ice and off the ice. So that was the, the biggest thing that I took away was just little details of, okay, this is how you coach this. You really need to describe every aspect of what this drill is going to look like, where you want stick placement, where you want body placement, where, where should the, the offensive player be looking, where should the defensive player be, be trying to accomplish on this drill. And he, he was extremely detailed in that regard, extremely detailed on video, all those sorts of things. But the, but the biggest takeaway was really just building up a culture and, and how he changed the culture really in the first week of taking over a, a losing program and making the players believe that, that they, they could win um, because it was the same players. We didn't have an influx of new players, really. Um, we took a last place team and, or he took a last place team and took it all the way to the CCHA championship game in, in, in one season, uh, which is why he got an opportunity with the Red Wings uh, the year after that. Cause it really was such, such an amazing accomplishment. So the detail portion of the game, as well as the importance of building a culture and, and how and, and what success looks like uh, in building that culture. So it was it was very very good experience for me for sure. And for any wannabe coaches out there, and I you know I have the pleasure now of having some of my kids that I've coached over the years now help me out even at eight you practice. But I I was given a book by a good friend of mine at work who uh, played on the U of A basketball team a long time ago. It was John Wooden's book about coaching mm-hmm. and about the pyramid of success. But I, I really learned there and they had pictures in there of his handwritten practice plans down to the minute and including yeah. prepping players on how to correctly put on their socks and shoes. Yeah. yeah. Just so, you know, and then having to trim facial hair so it doesn't agitate when it's rubbed against when you're going up for jump shots. You know, I mean, the the details that go through these elite coaches and talking about it with Jeff Blashill. So I, it's it seems to be one of the recipes for success is every minute has to count. And it's those small things that really separate the talent from the elite status. There's a lot of good coaches. It's those little things. It's making every rep count at practice, making every minute mm-hmm. count to get that one or two percent more out of every day that adds up over the course of a season and adds up over the course of a couple of years, especially when you're running a college program or like Jeff Blashill did when he was running the AHL Grand Rapids Griffins is we're going to do these things and have a culture. And over a couple of years, we know that these results are going to put us just that little bit ahead. That's going to be noticeable. 
Mm-hmm. No, you're, you're absolutely right. There's, there's a small difference between good and great. And it's a lot of it's in the details. So um, it was definitely something that, that I took away. All right. And so then you get the head coaching job at the University of Arizona at a very interesting time in one of the, I mean, one of the most significant events in Tucson hockey history is the changeover from Leo Golombieski and the Ice Cats to the University of Arizona Wildcats starting when you were named head coach. So talk about your process in becoming the head coach at the U of A. Um, yeah, it was really as simple as I literally saw a job posting that they were looking for, for a new head coach at the, at the University of Arizona. And, and I, I had knew, known Leo from my previous time in the ACHA. I didn't know him well. Um, and in fact, haven't I never had a conversation with Leo since being hired. Um, since I was hired as, as the University of Arizona head coach, believe it or not. So I didn't really know him, but I knew I was interested in the position. Um, and I applied and I, I went through the process and was interviewed um, by a few members of, of the campus rec staff at the, at the University of Arizona, as well as the players. They had the players involved in the process. Um, and it, w- it was over the summer, I'm trying to remember, it was, must have been 2011 or 12. Um, over the summer and I was offered the job late in the summer and I, was, I jumped at it. I was really excited to get it. Um, I was excited to be part of a program with such rich tradition, right? I wanted to be part of a, if I, if I was going to coach in the ACHA, I wanted to be part of a program that, that had established traditions and, and the University of Arizona definitely had that. They'd won a previous national championship and it had been in the running for 20 some years and um, they were looking to, to make a change and, and get the program kind of back to the status that, that they once had. And I was lucky enough to, to land the position. And you certainly did that. And coach Berman's doing a great job now. Another Detroit area guy. Who's yeah. Yeah. I, I know Chad. Doing a great job in the program. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is there, is there anything that rivals the U of A ASU atmosphere in the TCC that you've seen? And I mean, this even talks about you'll have Ohio state, Michigan games at value city arena or at Yoast. Mm-hmm. I, I don't, honestly, I don't think there is like, I've tried to explain to people, you know, Michigan, Michigan state rivalries is a pretty big one in our state. The Michigan Ohio state rivalry is a pretty big one. And there, there's rivalries all over the, the U S but the ones that I have seen in terms of just true rabid hatred <laughs> was a U of a and ASU. I mean, even the, the non hockey fans, Really, you know, if it's U of A versus ASU, it can be badminton. It can be fencing. It doesn't matter what it is. Um, people get excited about it, and they got excited about it uh, for, for Wildcat hockey. Um, and it was – they would pack – I just – I talk about this oftentimes about um, the people, you know, talk about my experiences or whatever, and I explain to them, like, even if they're big hockey fans, I'm like, hey, man, I used to coach at the University of Arizona, and we would get over 6,000 people for a game versus ASU, and their eyes just – like what i'm like yeah it was absolutely incredible experience if you feel like you're coaching in the nhl uh when you have a chance to coach a u of a asu game at the tcc it was pretty awesome i moved here in 09 and the first day i got in here was february and it was the saturday night with u of a asu the last game of the season (laughs) and i i had buddies who were living here and they're like hey let's go to the hockey game and i'm like of course of course i'll go to the hockey game i was blown away the building was packed (laughs) <laughs> were you like was, what is this are you it, trying to get like, was, is this like is this a d1 game what are we talking about it was <laughs> insane i had never seen anything like it. i mean i've been i was at pro games i went to the ohio state michigan football game in 2004 in columbus 
I I have never seen anything like that for a hockey game, and not even close. <laughs> and, and it was and, yeah, and, it was awesome. And even back then, it was. I don't think either team was going to the tournament at the time. So I mean, th- that Saturday night game, it was like a scene out of Slapshot. In that, I, I'm surprised there were enough players to finish the game, and the crowd. Oh, I believe it. I you, believe they, it. You serve out. You know, you have beer in the building, yeah. and it's packed to the gills. You got a lot of ASU people coming down. I was blown away. I was blown away. I was, I, I'll never. I'll still never forget that. And that's my first. I, I got into town about 4 p.m. from driving from Ohio, where it was snowing yeah. when I left, and then it was about 78 degrees. You know, when I got here and then we went yeah, to a hockey game it. that was like that. I was like, man, I'm home. Yeah, I know. I miss it, man. I, I miss, miss those experiences. Unfortunately, I think, you know, with ASU and NCAA hockey and, and you know, other, you know, there's AHL team in town, maybe it's not quite, I'm sure it's still quite a rivalry, but maybe it's not quite the same scene as it used to be, but it was definitely one of the, one of the coolest uh, high points in my life. Uh, you know, having that experience to coach that for sure. And then conversely, talk about going and having to play them at Oceanside, where you're going to have a thousand people jam packed into the rink at each other's throats. Oh yeah, it was, it was. You know, I'm very, very fortunate to have the experiences I, I, I did coaching hockey and coaching, you know, Arizona and being part of the Arizona Arizona State rivalry, and even going to Oceanside, like you said, it's a very tiny. And anybody listening to this knows I've been in Oceanside. It's, it's a tiny building, and you pack a thousand people in there. It was they they, they were they used to have to pay uh, place a security guard at the end of our bench there because they would have so many people. They'd basically be funneling almost onto your bench and uh, they would just jam them in so tight. And uh, it was a lot, a lot, a lot of fun. Um, Greg had some great teams and, and, you know, we had some tough games against them, um, but it was definitely a lot of fun. No, it, great times. And, and, and it does, it still continues now. Um, I, I, and just the hockey growth in Tucson now having the AHL here lifting the profile ASU doing what they're doing uh, the Coyotes uh, more rinks going around in the state hockey's definitely growing uh, but talk about again what what your decision making process was when Ohio University comes calling so um, Ohio University I had known the, the head coach there Dan Morris um, for, for a long time. And he, he coached at Ohio for a long time and, and really had a great program. And Ohio has always had a great program, but a, a truly great program in the ACHA, multiple national championships, and always, always a contender. So um, I had spoken to Dan and Dan said he was thinking about um, his, his wife had, was getting a new job opportunity in Texas and he might, might have to do the program. And, you know, would I be interested? I said, it gets me closer to home. I'm, I'm a little bit interested. I'll, I'll see basically is, is what I said. Um, so I, I was able to, you know, went through a few different phone interviews and then went out there and, and visited, um, you know, an on-campus interview and uh, really fell in love in the place. It, it got me closer to home be, being from Michigan. And that, that was a big part of it. Um, but really, you know, the on-campus rink and uh, to be a part of a program that's going to compete for a national championship year in and year out um, was a unique opportunity. Um, so, I, so I jumped at it and we, we, my third year there, we were in the national finals. Um, all five years there, we were, I think, four of the five years we finished in the top five. So we were, we were always near the top. And I still have, uh, believe it or not, still have, have nightmares about losing that national championship game about four, four years ago. Um, but being able to, you know, to get that close and be able to put a team on the brink like that kind of established myself as, as one of the, you know, top coaches in the ACHA at the time, being able to, 
have three teams in the national tournament and two in the national finals was, was, was pretty cool. So it was a lot of fun. And I, not to bring up bad memories again, but since you touched on it, you got to coach in the national championship. Talk yeah, about, yeah. talk about not, not only the lead up, but what you're feeling like on game day, how were you, if you were surprised of as nervous as you thought you'd be, it probably went to a whole nother level once you're getting close to game time. And then, you know, ACHA, it's one game for it all, just like. In the <laughs> yeah. So I was, I was real fortunate early in my career that, that I coached at Oakland university and at Oakland, we had built a program and we established a culture there that we were able to win two division two national championships when I was coaching there. And then one uh, NCAA, NCAA, ACHA division one national championship. We, we beat Penn state in 2007 uh, to win the national championship. So when I was at Ohio, I had the experience of going through it and having success going through it. So um, I was prepared probably more my second time around at Ohio than I was at Oakland. Um, but like, like you said, it's before the it, you win the game the day before, right? The whole tournament takes place over five days. You play four games in five days. So it's kind of a whirlwind. So we win the semifinal the day before and you got to turn around the next night and, and play for the national championship. So all day long, you're just kind of sitting there. We had, I remember we had a team meeting and our, our players came in and they were all, you know, they, they, they were very excited. Like they were, and I had explained to them, hey, it was like an 11 a.m. meeting. I was like, hey, we can't be at, at our peak excitement level at, at 11 a.m. We need to 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 take a breath, ha- have you know, a pregame meal, get a nap in, and then be at our peak excitement level around seven o'clock tonight. Um, so, so I definitely remember thinking at the time, you know, before the game, you know, it's, you just try to control what you can control, and then you prepare your team the best you can. And then we had a great game against Central Oklahoma, and we, we outshot them, I think, forty something to twenty. So we had a ton of opportunities. Uh, we just couldn't find the net. Their goalie played fantastic, and we ended up losing two nothing. Goaltending, especially in yeah. one game, it's, it's yeah, but it was he was phenomenal. We hit a few posts. I remember uh, at the second shift of the game, um, one of our forwards made a great play down low, took it to the net, and walked behind the goalie and and somehow missed the net. And I remember thinking then, I was like, oh boy, is it going to be one of those games? <laughs> you know, turned out it was. We hit a lot of posts and just couldn't find the net. No, I, I know that feeling and uh, bringing up painful memories for me. So this is year three of our high school program. Year one, we make it to the Division three title game and lose a tough game that, you know, maybe Coach Coach Dan and I will recount on a podcast uh, down the road when we're ready. I don't I still don't think we're there yet. But, and then last year, you know, we're in the semifinals and we're really feeling good about our team's chances and just you know, we had a couple bounces and we go behind two nothing in the first 30 seconds. And you just, we look at each other and just like you said, it's, it's one of those nights. It just, yeah, just like, it, yeah, it really, just, like, yeah. it just, it, it's just worse when it's in the, an elimination game. There's yeah. nothing you can do about it. It's not like it's a series where it's like, well, we'll get them tomorrow night. You know, we'll, we'll reconvene and we'll, we'll make sure that we're, we're ready to go and leave this one as an isolated game. But Managing emotions is a big part of coaching for sure. And talking about games that are that big. And again, you played, uh, you know, to circle back again, we have uh, a new player this year. We'll give a shout out to Curtis here. Who's was playing uh, high school hockey in Plymouth. So, you know, we have a lot of Michigan overlap here and talking about high school games, getting the playoffs again, you know, hopefully if fans are at capacity that we, there were, there were great atmospheres for those games, even here in Arizona. And I'm sure you remember mm-hmm. the same kind of things playing high school in Michigan. 
Oh yeah, absolutely. I, I, I'm a big proponent of, um, school-based sports, whether it's, you know, football, hockey, baseball, whatever it is. I think it just simplifies the, simplifies everything, right? It simplifies things for parents, simplifies things for the player, simplifies things for the, for the, for the coaches to, to know that you're not trying to look for your next, this happens in hockey quite a bit, right? Youth hockey where players are looking for who they're going to play for next year. And it's only November of the, of the current year they're in. Uh, if you're playing for your high school, you know where you're going to play and hopefully you aspire to play, you know, varsity for your high school and you know where you're going to be in your 10th, 11th, 12th grade year. So I think that's really important. And then going back again, you, after a successful run at Ohio university where, I mean, your program's in the top 10 every year, uh, talk about what led you to college hockey Inc and what that decision process was like. Yeah, so, you know, while I was at Ohio, I ended up, you know, getting married, and having a son, and it was two years old now. We're expecting a second baby here any day, uh, a little girl. So, um, we were looking to get back closer to family, um, back, back to Michigan. Um, so, uh, my wife got a job at Michigan State University, uh, working in the athletic department. And fortunately, it timed out perfectly with an opportunity with College Hockey Inc. So, I didn't know anybody at College Hockey Inc. I, like a lot of people, I saw a job posting and applied and was lucky enough to get an interview and then, then land the position. And it's worked out perfect because it's uh, it's something that I enjoy doing, right? I, I, I love hockey. I love being involved in hockey. Um, and it keeps me involved in hockey at a really high level with, with elite, elite athletes and NCAA Division One schools. So um, it's been a perfect fit for me and, and a perfect fit for my passions. So it's been good. Talk a little bit about your uh, day-to-day with College Hockey Inc. and uh, some of the programs you're helping to spearhead. Yeah, so typically in a, in a normal year, what, what we do a lot of is, is in my role, is I would work with you know the elite 14, 15, 16-year-old hockey players, players who are draft eligible, the WHL, the OHL, the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League, which is called the Canadian Hockey League. Uh, players that part- Unfortunately, players that participate in those leagues um, are, are not eligible for NCAA hockey. So we work with them, with those players that have that type of decision that they're making, especially at a young age. Um, do I want to pursue this path or do, do I want to stay eligible for college hockey? So in a typical year, we would host a lot of different events. I would visit a lot of teams, um, prepare pre- uh, presentations, and meet with families, agents, and advisors. Uh, just about the college hockey process. Uh, and we host a lot of events, right, where we bring, you know, 50 or 60 elite players into one location and um, we have them on the ice and then and do some different presentations. Uh, now, since, you know, we can't really host those types of events um, in, in the current climate, as everybody understands, as we do a lot of different webinars. So I'm working from home in East Lansing, Michigan. Uh, we've kind of transitioned to, to webinar-based, but I'm still doing those that, that same type of thing. I'm, I'm meeting with teams, uh, individual players, families, agents, advisors, uh, and just educating them on, on the college hockey process. And keeps us pretty busy. We, uh, we're, we're doing these pretty much daily, the, the, these webinars and uh, these, the, these uh, discussions daily. So it's been fun. Uh, I've learned a lot in, in the one year I've done this job. I've learned a lot about, uh, you know, elite players making these decisions, what's on their mind, what they're thinking, um, and, and really just a lot about the hockey landscape. And, you know, this NCAA season is definitely going to be up in the air, just like everything else. But, um, you know, a lot is made of, and for uh, we have a lot of kids that are, big hockey fans and they know about these restrictions from the CHL, but talk about you have players that um, 
come into NCAA hockey after their junior careers are over, where they're looking for a career or maybe a, you know, a good education here in the United States? Or do you deal with those players at all? Yeah, a- absolutely. So we, 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 we deal with it. You know, basically all players and, the, the, and, tr- and trying to keep them college eligible. But so the, a typical player path, I guess things that, that players need to keep in mind, just the, the basics of it are that the NCAA recruiting rules, right? So you, you cannot have any contact with the NCAA division one coach prior to January one of your sophomore year, your grade, grade 10 year of high school. Um, you can't have a, a commitment can't be made until August 1st before grade 11. So that's the, the, that's the earliest time that, that a college coach can, can reach out to you. Now, that being said, that is very, very rare. It's very rare for a player, at, you know, in 10th or 11th grade to earn a college commitment for, for hockey because the average commitment age or the normal commitment age, I should say, for a player uh, is almost 19 years old. It's so 18.9. So the majority of players – are playing what's called college eligible junior hockey after they graduate high school. So they graduate from grade 12, they're playing, you know, U18 hockey or or high school hockey or prep school hockey. And they're looking to go play college eligible junior hockey. Um, And they'll play that from 18, 19. And and oftentimes as a 20 year old, they'll play three, two to three years of junior hockey before they're, before they're ready to play play college hockey and what's great about college hockey for especially for the elite athlete the, the guy who is looking at the at an nhl career is you can play college hockey at 20 21 and 22 years old where because the average age for an nhl rookie is 23 so you can play college hockey you know in your in your 20s whereas if you take another path maybe the uh the chl path which is the whl the ohl the q uh, you need to be pro ready at 20 because this is under 20 junior league. So you need to be ready for the NHL or you're going to be playing in the minors at, you know, 21, 22, 23 years old, where you could replace that earning your education and playing college hockey. So uh, to me, it's a pretty clear path and pretty clear decision of, of why you would choose college hockey um, and the benefits of that path. And That's just a pivot- long, long-winded answer for you. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, I, 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 no, I appreciate the answer. And I'm, you know, for as we have kids that are coming into that age, you know, and mm-hmm. we have a lot of hockey fans as well that are listening to this. And it's, I, I'm glad that you were able to touch upon that a little bit of the ins and outs of the process for kids that age. And then they'll see junior players that are that age starting to play with uh, the college hockey teams they follow. And speaking about, college hockey especially ncaa hockey a little bit more i was i was definitely going to look you up because i was at the frozen four last year in buffalo um because i have buffalo roots and i have some friends that go every year and it was going to be in detroit again uh and hopefully it'll uh, come back again soon but again a great atmosphere for the ncaa and that they have a frozen four and that's something that's going to be a unique experience for anyone that participates, much like you were talking about earlier with the ACHA tournament where you're playing four games in five days to try and win the national championship. Yeah, actually, I, would, I was excited that it was in Detroit. I would have been there, and we would have, College Hockey Inc. would have obviously been pretty involved. We had some, some things going uh, going on during – would have been going on during during the Frozen Four, but 
unfortunately, we all, we all know what happened. It, it got canceled, and hopefully it'll be, it'll be back soon. But um, college hockey is is scheduled to start up here in mid-November with the Big Ten in the NCHC in the uh, beginning of December. Uh, Atlantic hockey in the beginning of December, and the ECAC is still working on its schedules. But, but we will have college hockey here in about a month. Um, I don't think we'll have many fans in the buildings, but we'll be able to to get the get the puck dropped and, and get the season started. So definitely exciting times. Maybe by the Frozen Four, they'll have some fans back in. Hopefully, all uh, is it Pittsburgh this year? Or I'm trying to remember. I don't know if you know offhand where it's going this no, year, but it's been, it's been in great cities sure. for sure. Yeah, they're, I'm not exactly sure where it's going to be this year. I think they're kind of we're actually working that out right now because of the COVID restrictions. So we'll see what happens. Well, hopefully, one of these days it'll be here in phoenix or or, or yeah in you phoenix. know what yeah absolutely that'd be great but i know it's gonna be in um uh, vegas is gonna host some ncaa events and uh um, phoenix would be a great spot especially with asu there now and uh they're in glendale that'd be pretty cool yeah the scene the hockey scene in the western united states especially in the southwest is definitely on the up and up with arizona with vegas uh, we had a couple weeks ago uh El Paso on and Tom Herman, who they just won craft hockeyville. So we talked about that some, and you know, Southern California has always had a robust hockey scene as well. So, uh, but let's, let's pivot. I wanted to ask you about something specifically coach to coach here. So as someone who coached in various ranks, including, and especially the ACHA D one level, what are some of the things you're looking at as you're evaluating players, you know, as, as we're going to have players and, I think some of our audience, at least, is, is kids that are in that age who might be thinking about club hockey. What are some of the things that you as a coach look for when you're evaluating? So, you know, coach, coaching and recruiting the ACHA was, was always a little different. Obviously, we want the best players available, but I really wanted kids that, that competed hard and looked like they loved being at the rink. Like I wanted players that, that lo- truly loved hockey and being part of a team. So when I was at Ohio and in Arizona, I, I used to tell the players, I, I – I don't want you to come here as a second, you know, second chance team or, or, or a second choice team, excuse me. Um, I want you to come here because you're excited to be a Wildcat or you're excited to be a Bobcat. You're excited to be part of the Ohio hockey program. And, and, and you truly desire and aspire to, to be a part of it. I don't want players that, that come here to think, well, you know, I should be playing at Michigan or I should be playing at Michigan state because that's just, that's just a tough culture. Um, to, to coach it. And I wanted players that were excited, that were competitive, that truly loved being at practice, truly loved being, uh, look forward to games, um, and, and really wanted to be a part of it. So to me, that was, that was the most important thing is just, it's just true competitors and, and guys that had passion for the game and then the skill-based stuff. You know, I, I love players that were fast, that were strong, on, strong on the puck and, and had hockey sense. So it's kind of, kind of the basic stuff. But if you're, if you're a player, looking to play college hockey or you're looking to play junior hockey, I would really encourage you to, to reach out uh, to, to coaches uh, of the teams that you're interested in. Um, keep your emails short and just, you know, we, actually, if you go to collegehockeyinc.com, there's, there's uh, some instructions on how to create a hockey resume. So um, put that together, but just really outline your desire to be part of their program. So I think that goes a long way. Definitely. And, uh, as a quick aside here, I, I tried out for the Division One team at Niagara when I first mm-hmm. went there. I had college classes. I was an 18-year-old junior. So they really didn't know what to do with me, but it was a short conversation with the coach. He was he, he's like, I he's like, I don't know what to do with an 18-year-old junior, and you're not you're not that good anyway. So I, he, <laughs> he, he was very nice about it. He's like, I, I think you're here for school. 
He's like, we have, you know, we have some kids who play D1 who are, they're 23 year old juniors. You're an 18 year old junior. I don't know what to do with you, but no, I just, just, uh, just a funny aside on my lack of a hockey career. I always say I started, I started playing men's league in seventh grade and that's, that was my, that was my career peak. That's the highest level I got to. So no, but, uh, no, I, I'm, I'm glad to hear about those things. And I, and I like to, you know, ask the coaches I have on that, that same question. And the answer is a lot of the same. And sure, there are skills that pop out to the eye, your stick handling ability, your speed, uh, your edge work. But, you know, there's a difference between looking physically strong, but being strong on your edges in the corner and being able to win battles. There's a difference Mm -hmm. between being real smooth as a stick handler, but are you able to smoothly catch a pass on your backhand at full speed or get a quick release from a real hard pass? So it's those Mm -hmm. finer details, I think, that uh, you know, a lot of coaches see or are looking for more than just kind of the overt things the the natural hockey fan or even the casual hockey fan looks at when they're watching players play. Agreed. And so uh, one more thing I wanted to talk about before we kind of get to our last topic here is you touched on it earlier. You got to coach for the United States of America in the university games three times. Talk about what kind of thrill and what kind of experience it is to put on the red white and blue as a coach um it was an incredible experience i think there's you know anytime you have an opportunity to represent you know your country um in, in competition is is uh, truly is an honor the one th- i didn't know that much about the world university games until i got involved right so and one thing my biggest takeaway from the world university games is is how big of a deal it is outside of the united states um in the united states obviously we have you know, professional sports and college sports. And there, there's a lot of different, different, you know, sporting activities going on where the rest of the world might not have, you know, professional sports and college sports like, like we do. So the world university games, um, is a, is the, is a largest, um, international sporting competition outside of the Olympics. So I did not know that going into it. It was, there's everything from the opening and closing ceremonies to the pack stadiums. It was truly an incredible experience for me. Um, like I said, the first one I went to was in Italy. Um, and we, we actually made the medal round in Italy, um, which was, which was a pretty cool experience. It, it, it with Spain and Kazakhstan and Kazakhstan. Um, there was, I think eight or 9,000 fans, every game, um, an opening ceremony that was sold out, a closing ceremony that was sold out. You really do feel like you're participating, uh, in the Olympics. So again, for a player that wasn't, you know, that great of a player, hockey has certainly treated me re- really well. It's given me so many different opportunities, uh, to be involved. And I was really, really fortunate to, to be assistant coach twice and then uh, promoted to head coach for, for when we went to Kazakhstan. So pretty cool experience. And talking about Italy a little bit, my brother played for a year in the Italian Professional League in uh, in Northern Italy. Uh, I'm sure the games were probably in Northern Italy as well. Uh, um, we yeah, there. they were. We, we were in Trentino. Yes. Um, okay. And we we played, uh, actually, I'm look right now. I can't, I can't remember the name of the stadium. Um, but yeah, it was... That was probably I, of the three that we went to. Italy was maybe because it was my first one. Um, one of the mo- most memorable, just because it was just such a you know everything was set up in terms of where we stayed and how we ate and everything was just it was just first class beyond belief. So definitely a memorable experience. And just to end here, something I like to ask the guests here that we have on the podcast. 
talk about a good youth hockey memory that still sticks out in your head. So when I ask you the question about youth hockey memories, talk about one specifically you remember or just in general what you remember and what has long lasting good feelings about your youth hockey career or something you can remember growing yeah. up. So I grew up playing youth hockey in Redford Township, Michigan. So we had a township owned rink um, called, it was called Redford Township Ice Arena. So being township owned and um, it was part of a kind of the parks and rec department. So hockey wasn't very expensive. And nowadays, nowadays it's very expensive sport to participate in. But when I was a kid, it was, I was fortunate enough that it wasn't all that expensive of a sport to participate in. And um, we would play, this is mites. So my first three years of mites, so six, seven, and eight years old, uh, we won the championship every year, not because of me, uh, but I was just fortunate enough to be on the, on the house team, you know, the drafted team that, that won each year. And we'd practice, it was always on Friday nights. We practice at, you know, one, one practice and, and games on Saturday morning. And, and just Saturday morning, I remember just, just the feel good memories of, you know, watching cartoons, eating my cereal and then packing out my bag and, and going to the rink for, for game day. And the championship game was always on the local public access. They called it super Saturday. Uh, and I was able to play in it, you know, all, all three, all three years that I played my eight and under uh, in, in the house league in Redford. And I just, I think it's probably where I developed my, my passion and love for the game was, you know, being involved in, in Redford township uh, ice hockey, uh, for six, seven, and eight years old and, and just playing twice a week. And it was just, it was awesome. I just, I, I'll never forget just the feeling of super Saturday and Saturday morning and having those games. It was really good stuff. Did your parents get the recording of those on the old VCR? Are those still around? <laughs> you know what? They probably are somewhere. I mean, this is in the eighties, so they're probably around somewhere, but, um, I had great coaches and just great teammates. It was the kids that I went to school with too, right? It was all the kids in, in Redford Township. So it was the kids that went to, I went to elementary with, and we were just, it was just, I, I can't explain how great hockey, you know, organized hockey is that way when it's township based and um, they keep it affordable for families. So it was pretty awesome. No, I agree. It's always been a, a big point of pride for us here in Tucson is to, even when we have to put a hundred kids on the ice at the same time to try and keep it as cost effective as possible. So the entire community can participate and being someone from Cleveland, I got to see it. a lot of old school municipal rinks there. And then I yeah. got to see the other side too, a little bit in the, the Pittsburgh suburbs, they had some municipal rinks there, but as I was growing up, it was really the suburb rinks that started to uh, build up and you had kind of a different feel there. But you know, same I mean, thing. Same, same thing's yeah. happening in Michigan. Yeah, there's they're kind of getting away from the old parks and rec buildings, and they're they're kind of you know privately owned rinks, which nothing wrong with it. But I think they're two different business models, right? The privately owned rink is is trying to make a profit, whereas the township owned rink is just you know providing a service, and that's two very different thought processes. <laughs> you know what I mean? So. Well, coach, and I'm still going to call you coach. That's part of the coaching fraternity, no matter what <laughs> job you currently have. But coach Sean Hogan, uh, I, I really appreciate you coming on today. And uh, hopefully I'll see you before too long. Maybe I'll come out for the Frozen Four when it gets back uh, to Detroit. If you're ever out here for some reason, please drop us I'm a line. Find but, a way to, I'm going to find a way to get back to Tucson. At any time. Sure. I, 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 love, I love Tucson. So. I, I, got pl- <laughs> I got plenty of room here for you and the family. Uh, congrats on the new addition. Uh, to your family. I hope everyone uh, stays safe and uh, continues to do well. And uh, hopefully uh, College Hockey Inc. will still be able to do uh, what you've been doing and still have uh, a good year despite everything that's going on. For sure. I appreciate your time today, Ryan. Thanks, buddy.
All right, that is episode eight of the Tucson Hockey Podcast with Sean Hogan. He is the director of education for College Hockey Inc. And we are efforting a couple of guests uh, coming up in the next couple of podcasts. So hopefully we'll get out a couple more episodes here in the next week or so, and we will see you next time.